0: All right, for today's interview, we have a very special double feature. We have Dallin. He is a probation and parole officer in Idaho. And we also have the chief of probation and parole in Idaho, Mr. Brian Underwood. Thank you guys, welcome to the podcast.
1: Nice to be here.
0: All right, so uh, um, I know Dallin knows, but at the beginning of all our interviews, we asked two questions these are standard questions we ask everyone. So we'll, uh, I guess we'll direct the first question to Dallin and then Mr. Underwood, um, you could uh, answer first, answer second. So on this, we have the two hat scale with one being a social worker and 10 being a law enforcement officer, police officer, deputy sheriff. How would you, how would you rate your
2: department on a scale of one to 10? I think personally, the way, the way that I look at it and I guess the people around me who I work with, um, I'd rate it probably about pretty solid in the middle, probably about like a five, maybe a six. Um, I think personally, me, I'm leaning maybe like a four or five. I'm new, I'm naive, you know. But I think I, I feel myself as I get more confident in the job. You know, I haven't been on for very long. I feel myself, i don't know leaning further and further toward the law enforcement side as I can, uh, as I can do more things
0: chief underwood how would you rate the department
1: well we are fundamentally trying to change the whole conversation from law enforcement or social work to six increasing success of people under our supervision and here's why um i was a you a presidentially appointed U.S. marshal for 10 years by President Obama. And I've seen the value of changing people's lives to, to better affect public safety than simple law enforcement, uh, you know, check the box, or uh, we're very good at compliance, which probation and parole tends to be very good at compliance. So we're fundamentally changing the conversation to look, if we can increase the success of the people we supervise and help them change their life, we'll be safer and they'll be happier. And frankly, you'll have far more workplace satisfaction. I think that's why people love these jobs anyways, because there's personal fulfillment when you're helping somebody. So I don't know that I'd put myself on a scale or our department. I think we're trying to fundamentally change how we look at it because You could put a case in front of me and I'd say we're 100% law enforcement on that case, dangerous, no business on the streets versus somebody else. And we're like, there's no reason why we should even give them a reason to run away from us because they need some help. So we're, I'm not, not trying to answer your question. I'm just, we're trying to change how we talk about probation to be, I mean, our actual vision says we envision um, fewer people in the correctional system and a safer Idaho. That's, that's what we envision.
3: I love that. That's
0: a great I answer. Like, I mean, that's definitely why we all do this job is that sense of fulfillment and trying to make be that change agent.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. Dallin, think, tell us
3: a little bit about why you even started in this profession to begin with.
2: That's an interesting one. It goes, I mean, it goes a little ways back, actually. Uh, I, uh, I guess in, in uh, college, I was studying to be a marriage and family therapist, um, or at least starting to, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And the more and more I got into like the world of therapy, which I mean, wasn't very long, I realized it was not where I wanted to be for the rest of my life. Um, I always liked cops. So I, uh, I finally kind of learned about what, uh, what, you know, probation and parole was, and it just seemed like the right, the right combination to me. Um, I had a point in my life where I, I guess I saw a lot of people who were in rough, rough situations um, through, I mean, either their mistakes or situational things. And, you know, I just kind of realized I wanted to be the bridge between those guys who struggle and like the normal world and help them get, get there.
3: Did you have anyone in your family that you could ask questions about the profession?
2: I didn't. Um, None of my family was law enforcement or, um, you know, anything like that. We did have like a family friend who worked uh, uh, down the Boise area and he does like some sex offender counseling type stuff. Um, So I think that's like what piqued my interest. And I, I started to follow, you know, trace it back to probation.
3: Okay, Mr. Underwood, how long have you been in the business
1: and what made you get into the field? Um, well, I started in 1988 as a, as a police officer. And I had some friends who were probation officers. And they said, hey, why don't you come over and join us because you can set your own work hours. And, you know, I loved, I loved law enforcement work. But I was starting to have kids and the, the um, I was intrigued by the ability to set my own schedule because I was working nights and weekends and all, you know, shift work. And it, it was wearing on me. So I, I went to work. I was working for a city police department and I went to work for the state, the current agency I'm with. And um, that was uh, 32. Well, 33 years ago now. And in the meantime, I've been a warden of a prison. I was asked by the director. I'd had some success as a probation manager. And so um, I didn't apply for a prison warden job, but they wanted me to do it. And they combined my job with the prison warden job for about three years. And uh, eventually I had developed enough, I don't know, Reputation and positive relationships that I was uh, uh, picked up by the Obama administration to the Justice Department, and when that term ended, because you know Trump said you were appointed by Obama, you're you're done. <laughs> I, you know, and that's politics. I'm not I'm not complaining. Um, I uh, I wanted to come back. I, I missed my my family at at uh, probation and parole, and so. I found out that the chief job was vacant and the director uh, asked me to come and be the chief. So here I am again. I've been here for just about two months over a year and we have never been busier. We have never made more changes, but I, I, I think we're in a good place. We're in a good place because I have, not because I'm anybody special, but frankly, because I've got a lot of perspective. I've worked for city governments, state governments, federal governments prisons, probation, police departments, Department of Justice. So I think I can speak with a little bit of credibility on why we're trying to do what we're trying to do, because typically people are either in one camp or the other. They either want you to be law enforcement oriented or they want you to be social work oriented. And I'm saying, wait a second, why can't we be all of those things? Why can't we just right. help people change their life? Yeah. And so when they're, and they're going, wait a second, that guy used to be involved with he was a cop and he was a U.S. marshal and he actually believes in helping people succeed. Wow. maybe, you know, and so it, I think it's been helpful for at least, you know, we have 450 employees in the probation and parole division in Idaho. You know, we're not big compared to some, but we're, you know, we're not small either. But I, but I think in terms of uh, the impact we want to have, I think, I think it's exciting.
0: So chief underwood, I have a question for you. From my experience, I started as a juvenile probation officer in um, outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And one thing I noticed when I worked there for four years is that there tends to be like a pendulum swing where, you know, when crime rate's low, it's, hey, let's go ahead and provide services. Let's help all the offenders. Um, let's give them chance after chance. But then when the crime rate picks up, then the judges apply pressure and everything is, no, everyone needs to be locked up. We're doing a lot of operations. Um, we're doing a lot of compliance checks. And we're sending a lot of people to jail or prison. Is that something that you've experienced in your time?
1: hundred percent. That's how it always goes. You know, it usually only takes one or two major sensational events to tip the system on its head. You know, somebody that's on probation, uh, murders somebody. Uh, kidnaps a little child and you know the, then the whole system comes crashing and burning down um, so we're trying to approach this in such a way that we're, we're not getting rid of accountability we're not getting rid of our our um, approach to people in terms of safety security public safety all that but we're also not afraid to say listen would you rather see this person again three months from now, or would you rather us use some additional tools, resources, and maybe actually be nice, um, if there's no way, way to say it, and maybe help change their, their life and their family's life around? I mean, I think we're kind of at a crossroads in the country because everybody is so I – don't, I don't mean to say everybody – people are so at each other. I mean, you, you either agree with them or you don't. You're either Republican or you're Democrat. You're either pro-law enforcement or you're not. I'm like, that's a bunch of bullcrap. I mean, I can have an opinion about something and not be a bad person. Um, and I can, anyway, I, you, you, your question is absolutely 100% on. We, we're a pendulum swinging country. I worry about that. Um, and that's why sometimes it's unfortunate that our politicians tend to follow the emotions of the community rather than, okay, let's just really look at the situation instead of harming everybody with our decision. Let's, let's realize that sometimes bad people are going to do bad things and it shouldn't blow up the whole system. So yeah, it's no different here in Idaho. Uh, Dallin, let me ask you
0: a question. Uh, Actually, this is something that um Brittany had posted on her TikTok. Is tell us about your first arrest. How did you feel when when you did your first arrest?
2: Okay, um, my first arrest was in well, first arrest I was part of um, was my very first time going out into the field uh, when I was out of the academy, and uh, I don't know. I just I just kind of watched with wide eyes, honestly you know, we, we had, uh, showed up to somebody's house and, uh, uh, you know, called in our location and the County responded, dispatched it and say, Hey, this guy's got warrants. You know, so we go into the house, did our, uh, compliance sweep, you know, made sure he didn't have anything extra while my trainer, uh, you know, had his chat with him, let him know he had warrants. And I mean, he was super, super compliant. Um, nervous as he, you know, I could get out, shake in, needed a cigarette while we waited for, county to show up and uh, transport him to jail but yeah you know it was it felt really real at that point you know it 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 had been a lot of paperwork you know going to the academy before that um, which which did put some perspective on it but you know at, at the point that you know it was the first arrest that I was ever involved in you know just actually sitting back and realizing well this is real you know we're not just here to tell people yes or no, like we have the ability to, you know, take action to, to help them, I guess, get better as they need. Um, you know, we have the ability or the authority to, to take away their freedom. So it's, you know, I guess now that I think about it, it really weighs on me. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's no small thing. So. I would agree with you. Um,
0: Definitely uh, nervous. Uh, I think that's how I felt on my first arrest, and just the uh, the weight of that of that authority and that power you have, where you can you have that ability to take someone's freedom, and that's always something you want we want to try to keep in mind as probation officers is that we do have that power. Whether you have the power of arrest, um, like certainly like some departments do, like mine mine does, yours does. Or you have that ability to issue that warrant, uh, where, which is how Brittany's uh, department uh, worked. They didn't make arrest, but it had the ability to issue that warrant, and you knew it eventually that warrants and results in that person losing their freedom. So it's always something you want to keep in mind and not take not take lightly. So I got a two part question. Um, I get the first part would be for Chief Underwood, which is what kind of officers are you guys looking for, um, and then. Uh, Dallin, if you could tell us about the the hiring, um, the hiring experience, and the hiring process that you went through, since it was only six months ago, and I'm pretty sure it's uh, fresh in your mind.
1: Great question. We're we're looking for people who we're looking for staff who aren't afraid to be a little vulnerable, to be. You know, willing to help people make increase their success in life, but we realize that they'll make some mistakes along the way doing that. Frankly, I think we need people to be honest and to be trustworthy uh, 100% of the time. And, and that's why I, I've told the probation officers in Idaho that, look, I trust you to do your job. I'm not going to micromanage you to do your job. But if you make a mistake, just be honest with me about it Um, and we can deal with it and move on because you all know in the business that if you are found to be untrustworthy or your integrity is questioned or you lie, you're no good to us in court and uh, you can't keep your job. And so honesty, someone's willing to have some fun, but someone who's willing to actually uh, look at people not as look when i started let let me be honest when i started the term dirtbag was thrown around all the time dirtbag scumbag uh you know the the, these people and and i was always kind of like i don't know you know some of these people like i have neighbors or i have family member that know them i mean they're they're having some life struggles and they got involved with drugs or you know And so I I was I was never really jumped with both feet into that culture, so to speak. Um, But the longer I've been around and the more I've seen how another one person can really affect another person by how they treat them. I'm just convinced that that's really the discussion we need to have in the justice system, not what other rules can we come up with or what. uh, When I came here, we changed the supervision. We changed our supervision standards. We simplified them. Um, we're allowing virtual contacting. Now, we needed to do that during COVID, but quite frankly, if I have an officer that can see someone on FaceTime or Zoom or A-Check or what other, other tools we're using, I don't want them coming into the office. Sometimes that creates people come into our office, they sit there, there's 50 people in the office, and sometimes they felt like they were treated like shit, you know, sitting there waiting for hours for a P.O., and we, we have to get away from that mentality of that fortress mentality. If you're going to come do it, we say, you're going to show up when I say, versus, hey, let me just check in to see how you're doing today. Oh, I can do that by virtual technology. I can do a home visit and, you know, I can do a home visit in different. I, I don't have to have one of my contacts a month be an office contact. I can do it any way I choose. So we did that, and it's changed, it's changed the mood in the division significantly, I think with just trusting officers. Hey, look, we need you to help people be successful. You tell us what you need.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely see that on my side too. Just, just jumping in on that uh, little line. You know, we, I feel like we really, you know, here in this department have the ability to, to meet people where they're at. You know, if somebody's in trouble, I'm bringing them into the office. I'm going to their place. Um, you know, we, we have the ability to do what we need, but those people who are you know, I'm not as worried about you know or low on my radar you know I phone calls and and zoom contacts um, it it really makes it easy easier to focus on on the people who really need the help Dallin, tell us about the um, hiring process you fill out the online application which you know has a series of you know short answer essay questions you know asking about how you've gained case management experience um, I'm trying to remember what else was even on there but um you. Know, submit the application, you know, that goes through the HR department. They, I guess they filter out whoever they need or met the minimum criteria. Um, Then I did a a panel interview. I had our district manager, section supervisor, our lead probation officer, and another probation officer. So four people were there. Um, Of course I was scared out of my mind, (laughs) Um, but you know, they just asked standard interview questions. Um, and then after that, there was background checks and the physical test. Um, the physical test—that was the—that was the hardest part of the whole interview process for me. Um, There's a, you know, 300 mile—not 300 mile. That's a long ways. No, <laughs> uh, well, that was just for you, 300 miles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one was the only for me. Now, 300 meters, and then a mile and a half after that. So I just totally passed, but I made it. Um and after that, um, and then passing the
0: background check, um, I was. Now in Idaho, do you guys have full police powers, or are your powers limited?
1: We, they we are
0: limited,
1: right? We we enjoy well, we enjoy full peace officer status when we're dealing with people under probation or parole supervision.
2: meters and then a mile and a half after that. So I just totally passed, but I made it. Um, and after that, um, and then passing the background check, um, I was offered the job. So are you guys
0: considered law enforcement officers in the state? Yes. Okay. That's pretty similar to how, I, how it is here where I'm at. So that's good. Um, what, how long is the academy?
1: Six weeks. weeks. Six weeks? Six weeks. Six weeks
0: okay well maybe was
1: maybe it was five for you down because of covid but it's six weeks
0: yeah oh good point when i went through my academy three years ago it was five and since added another week um so now the new people are going through there are six weeks and i believe they added more um defensive tactics and i think a little bit more firearms training um I guess that was what they're getting as feedback was that uh, people wanted more of that stuff. So new people have six. I, I was I was happy to get through with five. So um, is there, Chief? Is there anything that you would add to the academy um, that you think might be might be might be lacking or needed?
1: Well, quite honestly, I haven't spent a lot of time on the academy um, in the short year that I've been back as the chief, just because. I've had so many other initiatives ahead of that, that I felt like I needed to focus my attention on, Um, you know, many of the factors or many of the things that we do in the Academy, you'll, you'll always have, you know, the firearms, the, the defensive skills, uh, the, the legal issues, courtroom testimony, you know, some, we're always going to have those basic things, but I don't think we spend enough time probably on the people aspect of this job and, and our focus on, you know, Responsivity, and and that's just a fancy word for you know how do you how do you deal with other people so that they actually hear what you're saying, um, you know, uh, h- how do you not come across as, you know, my way or the highway? Because look, we know we have the authority, and some some officers throughout the United States do a horrible job. They they feel like they have to tell people how important and powerful they are when you know when really it should be about making connections and building relationships so that people we want people to want to change i mean i I can't do anything for anybody they have to do it for themselves but i can sure as well be a, a, a motivating factor for them if they feel like it's we we put into our standards that a meaningful contact means this if someone walks away and feels like you care about their success, that's a meaningful contact. That's written into our supervision standards. Um, now I may not be quoting it exactly, but I think I'm close.
0: Agreed.
1: So I, that's where I'd probably spend more time at the academy is on, on those soft skills like that.
0: I think, I think a lot of those things though, are things that Hard to teach someone. I feel like yeah, they have to have the personality for it. Um, because I do work with some officers that are like that, where they're very, you know, my way, to highway, very strict. You violated, I'm gonna arrest you, and that's it. And they don't really try to understand. I like to think about it as in reality, any one of us could be on the other side of that desk. We were all one bad decision away from being on the other side of that desk. So it's very important that we treat the offenders with the respect. And try to understand where they're coming from, what led up to their offenses, what are criminogenic needs, what are the factors in their life that we can assist them with changing um, in order to get them there. But on the other hand, and I think the, the, this is a very, very tough, tough point to make or a tough decision to make is when do you go from ch- changing hats, which is you go from being the case manager, social worker hat, to okay, now I have to put the law enforcement hat on, and I have to make I have to make a decision regarding making this arrest, taking your freedom, seeking revocation, um, you know, whatever the circumstances is. How do we, how do we get there? How do we uh, better, more efficiently make that decision? Where do we decide that right now it was a public safety issue?
1: Well, I think that's the I think that's the key question that all of us have to. Consider, you know, there's probably no way I can bake that into our our policies and procedures, because sometimes that just comes down to an individual case or an individual decision. But I think if you if if we're all talking in different ways, if your strategic plan of your agency is increasing success for people under supervision, people are more likely to look a little closer at when they actually pull the trigger than. Than they would in the past. When I started as a probation officer, I thought my whole job was nothing but compliance. And if someone failed to dirty UA, straight to jail. If someone didn't come to see me, jail. If someone failed to turn in a monthly report, jail. I mean, that was the that was the job. That was the answer. Nothing to do with public safety. Made me feel good because I was holding them accountable and they were compliant. So I, I don't know hundred percent how to answer your question because that's what we're trying to figure out right now is how do you how do you bake that in how do you operationalize that decision making it's tough
0: yeah it's a, de- it's a delicate balance um between trying to meet the needs and then trying to keep the public safe um of course clearly if there, there's certain there's certain triggers i mean we have new offenses yes clearly we have to you know we have to make that arrest okay because now you're a, public, you're a public safety risk, you're victimizing people, you're a threat, then we have to make that decision. But when it comes to the technicals, it's like how, how many do you let them rack up before you say, okay, at this point, supervision just is not being effective because you just keep racking these technicals. You have no have new charges, but the technicals, you're just racking
1: them up. Well, I, once again, I think it depends. If someone, say someone's on for a possession case, which is pretty, pretty frequent across the United States and they're racking up dirty tests or they're missing an appointment here or there, you know, sometimes you have to say that's all part of the whole process of trying to figure out how they can overcome this addiction. And they might have more numbers than on paper that look uncomfortable, but, um, you know, when is going to be that one time that they're going to go, you know what? I need to step it up here. I, I, I don't know. Um, that's, the, that, that's the hard one for, for me as the chief of the probation officers, because I don't ever want to tell them when they can or can't file a violation or make an arrest. I, that, that, they'd be micromanaging them and taking that trust away. But I also want them asking questions like, did I use every tool at my disposal to help this person? And am I more afraid of technicals or am I looking at the long-term success of that person and that family? And once again, it's hard to operationalize that because you can't write that into a. You can't write a policy for every person. We have seventeen thousand people under supervision in Idaho.
0: Dallin, can you tell us about, without going into specifics, can you tell us about the first violation or that you've had to file,
2: and how did you come to how did you come to that decision? That's a that's an interesting one. You know, there there was a lot of paperwork I was doing for other officers. Um, you know, when I first started, before I really had my own caseload. Um, But I, you know, I actually, I started with drug court and with mental health court. So, so it was a little bit different, because I didn't necessarily, um, you know, write probation violation paperwork. You know, it was more of, uh, you know, presenting the issues, uh, I guess, to, to the judge and to the rest of the team that I, that I work with. Um, But, I say, like, I'm really trying to think about who that first one was. That was, uh, that was mine that I got rid of or not got rid of. That's definitely not the language I wanted to use there. <laughs> um, that I, that I, uh, you know, had violation on. But, um, I think think one of the first ones that like really sticks out to me was, was actually pretty recently. We, we had some good success in in my program where we were slow to, to violate people at least. But, you know, we had had one guy and he just was, I guess, looking back at it, you know, he he wasn't really meeting the, the standards for our, for our court program. You know, he wasn't engaging in treatment, you know, constantly giving us positive tests. Um, you know, and I, I think I came to, to the, I guess, the conclusion maybe before other people did, um, you know, on the rest of our drug court team, um, you know, basically think he needs to be violated. He, he needs to, this obviously isn't working, you know, being in the community isn't working or being in our community right here isn't working. Um, but, you know, as far as making the decision, you know, the it's, it's always a hard one. You know, I, I have the privilege of having tons of resources, you know, being a part of the, the treatment core programs you know, tons of counseling and, you know, access to, to like job rehabilitation programs and stuff. But, you know, it's, I guess it just kind of came to be, you know, when, when I realized I'd, you know, we'd used everything that we could and he didn't seem to be making improvements. I agree.
0: And of course, no, I'm drug court too. So, you know, we get yeah. we get that connection. I feel, I feel your pain. Um, working with drug addicted clients is, I want to say it's hard. You have, and you have mental health court, which personally I couldn't do mental health court, even though I do have some uh, offenders in drug court that do have some mental health issues. I just couldn't do straight mental health. Um, I just think that's just too, personally that's too much of a challenge for me. Um, so I, I give you, hats off to you for me to do drug court and mental health court. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, so what kind of equipment are you, what kind of safety equipment are you guys issued in
2: Idaho?
1: Go ahead, Dallin. You probably well, can
2: answer this better than I can. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, like, I got my belt on right now, so I can just go down the – go around the body. Now, um, no, obviously, I guess we're issued our, our department firearms, Glock 17, um, a couple extra mags. We have our OC spray, um, collapsible ASP baton, um, two sets of handcuffs, flashlight, radio, um, department issues Narcan, which I really appreciate. You know, being in drug court, you know, I always know that it's a possibility. I'm going to have to use that on somebody. Um, You know, personally, I also carry an IFAC um, individual first aid kit and a tourniquet. Um, You know, a couple backup flashlights. Um, Obviously we're issued vests as well. So yeah.
0: Let's pretend like Chief uh, wood isn't here. And is there anything that you wish the
2: state would issue to you that they don't? The only tool that I can really think of, you know, that police do or don't have, you know, that's not on my belt necessarily would be tasers, um, <laughs> or money. I wish they'd issue me money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the taser is the only thing that I I don't see that we have, but I don't know. I, I hear rumblings that it might be in the works one day. So is that true chief? Any, any, any rumblings going on?
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I actually convened, a. Safety Advisory Council, so that I could get input from the field as to what they need. And one of their recommendations to me is to study the TASER, um, which which uh, I'm, I'm getting that. Uh, it's, it's on the director's desk to look at. Um, we have very few incidences of use of force. Um, and although that, that's not the deciding factor, I prefer the TASER personally over the ASP. Or the baton it's just a personal preference of mine but you know obviously we want to do we want to do it for the right reasons and so yes it's a true rumbling and probably in the next year they'll see some kind of a pilot uh for taser
0: we have rumblings here in my state too about those so we'll see if they have um so i guess that's a, a spreading all right so what i want to do is change gears a little bit to something you were talking about earlier about um effective supervision and are you were saying you guys were doing more virtual you know um i did read an article about the hx system you guys are using and know if you were talking about zoom uh, contacts with uh with your offenders um so in my state the way with, the way covid hits um we've kind of had a drastic change where we went from really being a more um office based offenders came to see us for monthly appointments and then we had, you know, uh, requirements to go see them at their residences, depending on, um, you know, the amount of times you have to see them at the residence depends on their uh, supervision level, their risk levels. Um, since COVID hit, we've kind of changed now to where they're pushing us out into the, into the field and into the communities where they want us to be visible in the communities, um, The monthly office appointments that we would normally have in the offices, we're not doing those at the residences. In addition to, we still have to do our regular home contacts. So a lot of what we're doing more is out in the community, out in the field. Um, You know, just with COVID, they have this limited number of people that can be in your office at one time. So it is kind of like a a rotation um, for people to be out uh, seeing offenders and, of course, come back to the office, putting your notes in um you know finding your violations or whatever your follow-ups with the service providers so is that something that you guys were kind of thinking about maybe go more to pushing out into the field or do you think that the using the technology and the virtual is meeting that need
1: well that that's exactly why we made the changes i mean we were going to make the changes anyway and then covid just put them they they fast-tracked them um my preference is that we never go back to to the office as like the primary method of having contact with our people, um, but it's more field based, it's more virtual based, it's more technology based. So I'll just share my screen with you, and I'll just show you a, I'll just show you a, a sample of one of our standards. Just it's, it's a page right out of our SOP, it's just one page. Uh, there's just a few elements. So I'll, I'll just read you like moderate supervision, which is an LSI score for men, 21 to 28, women, 23 to 30. That's the, That that gets you the moderate supervision level. The first block on our, our policy is customer service. To establish a customer service expectation, all staff shall respond to client and stakeholder emails, voicemails, text messages, et cetera, as soon as practical but no longer than 2 to 3 business days as circumstances allow. We need to be we need to be oriented to the customer. We need to respond, we need to answer phone calls. We need to So that's the first that's the first thing in our supervision standards. The second one is two meaningful face-to-face contacts every 3 months. One of those face-to-face contacts can be done virtually. So the PO can do a check, they can do Google Duo, they can do Zoom, they can do, you know, whatever they want. Um, But two every three months, and one of them can be virtual, meaningful contact, face-to-face, and then one field contact every six months. A field contact, or one of those field contacts per year, because there's two of them per year, must occur at the client's home. So we give the POs significant flexibility this is just for moderate cases, for example. And because we want them to go see the client where where it makes the most sense. Because seeing 90 people on your caseload in the office every month might check the box, but it doesn't really move the needle of success. So that's why we want POs going and coming wherever. You know, just, just go have a meaningful contact. I don't care where you have it. I don't care how you have it.
0: What do you, what do you think about that? Would you, do you prefer seeing meeting people in the office or meeting them, meeting them where they're
2: at in their residence? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I like all of the, all of the things, you know, for different reasons. You know, I, I have guys who are are really busy that I deal with and, you know, if they can hop on a zoom meeting during their lunch, you know, while they're out like the construction site, that's awesome. You know, and that works for me. Um, you know, obviously, if they're needing more attention, you know, I'll uh, I'll bring them to the office so I can do a UA, or I'll I'll go see them in their home and make sure, you know, in their natural habitat and see what exactly they're up to. Um, and so, so I mean, the the virtual meetings make things really easy um, as far as like meeting the meeting the standard of like the minimum standard of contact, but you know, it also. And I guess gives me time to, to to focus in on those guys who need a little bit more attention, need that personal touch. Agreed. I definitely agree with that one.
1: Now, now this may be different for drug court. Um, but like one of the things we changed in our standards for substance testing is here's what it says. Substance testing should be utilized when necessary for cause. So it's up to the PO. It's not the standards used to say, you'll do three substance tests or four substance tests a month. Well, they might not need four tests a month. They might need – so it's – we're really trying to push this back down to the field level where they're making decisions based on increasing success for the individual person, not checking a box on, hey, I got my five UAs for the month. Good for me.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Because different apprentices have different needs um some need that more intensive um what is what is the the drug of choice or the drug trends that are going on out in idaho
1: go ahead Dale, and then i'll answer
2: i say uh, i mean what i'm seeing up here i mean there's uh, there's just a lot of meth um you know and i mean heroin too but you know i i happen to also I guess the, the city where i'm located we're actually. Uh, like we sit on the state border with Washington, you know, in Washington weed is legal and Idaho weed is not. So it's really, really easy for people to, you know, drive a mile over across the line and go to the dispensary, pick up some marijuana. Um, so, I mean, I see a lot of marijuana and then, I mean, you know, as far as like my drug court guys, you know, I feel like most, most of them, you know, struggle with meth, um, meth or heroin.
1: Meth, yeah. is all, meth has always been a problem in Idaho. Meth, meth and now we're seeing more heroin than we ever used to see, but methamphetamine generally has been our problem.
0: We're seeing a lot of um, fentanyl and that's also, I think, contributing to a lot of the overdoses that we're having where I'm at. And it's to the point where offenders are, you know, they'll come in, they'll admit, okay, yeah, I use some heroin. And then when you test it, They're negative for opiates. So then I'm like, okay, well, hold on a second. Do a fentanyl test. You just used straight fentanyl. There was no heroin in it. And a lot of them, I think that scares them um, because they do know the potency of it. But I don't think it's enough for them to, uh, you know, for that alone to be the deciding factor in them changing their behavior. Um, so I don't know how big fentanyl is where you guys are, but it's getting pretty big down here.
1: We we're, we're having some problems with it, particularly in the bigger cities.
0: Just and then to change gears a little bit, and actually kind of glad I have you guys here because I have, I guess, lack of better lack of better phrase, I have kind of have the bottom of the food chain, I have the top of the food chain here. So I gotta take advantage of this. <laughs> do you feel or do you experience that there is a disconnect? Between the top and the bottom, that, that new officer like Dallin and then the top up the top, you know, Chief Underwood. Do you think there's a disconnect between, you know, the top kind of understanding what the bottom is going through or what they're experiencing on the day to day level out, out on the road, out in the field?
1: Sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm I'm doing my level best to communicate in a variety of ways. Um, and that's why I create dance videos, for example, because I want I want the staff in this division to feel like I can be approached that I'm fun that I've been where they're at, I know what they're going through. But I still think there's a, a little bit of a disconnect in, in, in uh, most organizations there generally is between the top and the bottom. And some of it's not on purpose. It's just how things are set up. you know, you've got to go through a chief and then a deputy chief and then a district manager and a section, you know, by the time you get to where the people, or actually doing the job, you've gone through five levels of bureaucracy. So there's definitely a disconnect sometimes.
2: I mean, there's you know, obviously, you know, some some level of disconnect between the different levels, but I mean, you know, just coming in this job, I'm fresh, new in the department. One thing that I've I guess I've come in and really appreciated, um, in comparison to other places that I've worked is I guess is our access to um to our leadership you know we've I guess in the last since the beginning of the year you know we've had a you know we had a a question and answer session that we're going to be doing with you know our our chief of staff and you know we've had you know little trainings put on by put on by our directors Um, I guess I'm privileged because I work in a really small district Um, so you know I, I run into my my supervisor and my district manager all the time and I have the ability to chat with them but I, you know, I guess, you know, I'm sitting here on a Zoom call with, with the chief as well. So, you know, I, I do feel like, you know, if necessary, I you know, I they are accessible, which I really do appreciate. I think it's pretty cool.
0: Just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, I just had two kind of questions for you guys. One is, how well do you guys work with local law enforcement? And do you believe, do you think they understand the department's position, policies,
2: limitations um, in terms of what you guys can and can't do when working with them, I kind of mentioned in my uh, my messages to you earlier. I I work in a a satellite office, so there's only me and one other officer here, um, and then we're you know, about half an hour, forty five minutes away from our district headquarters. Um, but we 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 have a really awesome police department and sheriff's department here that we we do get to work a lot with. Um, this spot that I'm filling was actually helped by my, my, uh, my section supervisor before. And I, she has a really, really good, uh, relationship with the, the local law enforcement. Um, you know, she'll, when we do our field nights, she'll go out and, you know, ride with one of the local PD guys. Um, so I think they've got, you know, a a pretty good general idea of what we do. Um, and I guess I'm also privileged to be on the, the drug court and mental health court. You know, I sit there with, um, an officer from the police department, you know, or a narcotics officer from the police department. And I take a lot of trips to the jail too. So I get to know those deputies pretty well.
0: Have you ever experienced any kind of disconnect between what they kind of expect um, or what they've kind of hoped that you guys can do um, that you possibly can't do?
2: Any kind of friction? Um. Personally, no, no. I, I mean, I, like I said, you know, my, my supervisor has a really good working relationship with them. And like, that's one of my big goals for this year is to to get to know the guys better um, that work here. But um, I, I don't think I've really felt any disconnect here. At least
1: we, we, we have a pretty, we have a pretty solid relationship with all levels of law enforcement in Idaho city, state, federal, but there, there are a few pockets of disconnect and I don't think it's, on purpose i think it's just because we need to do a better job of educating them that they just can't go around and search people just because they're on probation or parole that we have to be involved in that decision that there has to be a nexus to a, a, con- a violation of the conditions of their supervision and and i think for the most part most get that but there's a few you know we get we get some officers that come from california where they do have the ability to search someone on probation or parole with no reason but not here in Idaho, and so so I think it's just incumbent upon us to do a better job and and uh, you know sometimes it just is you just have a lack of time. you know there's only so many hours in the day you can meet with people and talk to people. but I think for the most part, our relationships with law enforcement are pretty solid here.
3: I wanted to know a little bit more about the YouTube channel for the Idaho probation and parole Department.
1: Are you talking about the dance video, YouTube?
3: <laughs> the whole channel in its entirety because that's not the only video that, that's uploaded
1: I think it's the I, Department of Correction has
0: channel
3: the DOC channel yeah.
1: yeah. Now, now because I came from the Justice Department I wasn't allowed to have any social media so right. I don't generally ever go there I just haven't gotten into the habit so that's why I got this dumb look on my face like I don't really know what you're talking about
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay We we did see one of your dance
1: videos on the DOC channel.
3: Okay, okay. Now that makes more (laughs) sense.
1: You you should see my new one that I just did about, about, um, it wasn't the mask video. It was, I don't know, how would you describe it, Dallin? It was just, um, we love our staff video. For someone that's looking to
0: get into your department, go ahead and give them the spiel of why they should join the Idaho probation parole
2: family. Give them the spiel.
1: Go ahead, Down. No.
2: I'm, oh, man. Catch me <laughs> unprepared. No. Um, you know, I, I guess if I was talking to somebody who wanted to get into probation parole, you know, here in Idaho, I'd say, I mean, number one, just do it. You know, if, if you want to be in a place where you can help people, you want to be in a place where, you know, I guess you have flexibility. Um, in your job scheduling and your job duties, um, this, this is an awesome way to do it. Um, you know, we get the opportunity to be in the field, get the opportunity to be in the office, um, and I guess, get a chance to, um, know the community better than, than, you know, I think most people who, you know, know, the normal person would. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's an, it's an awesome opportunity to, um, just make an impact and feel good while doing it. So, good answer. <laughs> also
0: sitting there. Good answer. Want to run and join us, thinking, Chris? I'm like, yeah.
1: <laughs> L- Listen, I, I, I w- go ahead. I just want to say, hey, thanks for what. Thanks for what the two of you are doing in your respective communities. You know, it's been nice to be invited to this. Happy to do it. Look, if you want to come work for the Idaho Department of Correction Probation and Parole Division and actually have the greatest job satisfaction of your life in changing lives and getting paid while you do it, we're hiring. So just uh, look us up and move to Idaho.
0: <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, being on a podcast today. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we try to We're continuing to grow. We're continuing to try to promote the community corrections, community supervision, probation parole, pretrial services, juvenile probation, family. Uh, There's a lot of people that have a lot of questions about about the field that want to get into it. And we're trying to bridge that gap. So we definitely appreciate you guys today. I think you guys dropped a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience um, that I think a lot of people will definitely appreciate. So again, thank Thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, Make sure you tell all your coworkers us grow. Make sure you subscribe. Um, we're on different platforms. We have some very good interviews out there. Um, we've interviewed officers in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Georgia, Virginia, Arizona. Missing anybody, Brittany?
3: You probably are. There, there's so many. There's so yes. many. Go check it out. <laughs>
0: yes. And we've interviewed people with different um, specialty caseloads, anti-violence, um, drug courts, uh, sex offenders, domestic violence. Um, so we try to, we try to give everyone a good broad perspective of the field so that they can realize they can get in kind of find their niche and hopefully, you know, be that positive change agent, um, that our, uh, our offenders need.
3: Thank you so much, Chief Underwood and Dallin, for joining us on today's podcast episode. Please be sure to follow us at Two Hats Podcast on Instagram. Also, if you would like to be featured on the next episode, please send us an email at Two Hats Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe, guys.